Stevens Road Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find our weekly teaching and more as we try to equip you to live out your faith everywhere and always. We've been looking at or, or have begun to look at some, some big Bible moments. So these, these moments in, in Scripture when we're where if we really want to understand the, the, miss it, the message and, and mission of Christ, we have to understand these. We looked last week at, uh, at, at creation. And this week we're going to skip into Exodus and look at, uh, at the Exodus. Now obviously, in the amount of time I can, we can take right now, I can't do justice to the entirety of the Exodus story. Uh, we'll just take a, a snapshot of it, but it's, it is so critical for us to know it. We're, we're going to look at uh, Exodus chapter 3, the, the call of Moses. Open it up with me, if you would. Exodus chapter 3. I won't make you read it this time. I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you, or at least some of it. Exodus chapter 3. One of the things that you should know from the, from the beginning is, is obviously a lot has already happened in the first two sections of Exodus. The people who went to Egypt for safety, generations have gone by, and they went from guests to citizens to, uh, to slaves. Things have gone poorly for the people, and it's getting worse. They, however, were prosperous and were growing, and the, the Pharaoh wanted to deal with that, and he wanted to eradicate a, a generation. He wanted to remove all of the male children, and he tried to do so. Moses was saved as a child and grew up at a palace, through the intense bravery of his sister and mother and a kindness of the Pharaoh's daughter. Moses grew to a 40-year-old man, knew about his heritage and attempt to exercise leadership. And Moses is a passionate person. But that passion turned to explosive anger and it turned instead of a, an act of justice, an act of, of wrath, and he, and he killed a man in, in anger. He was discovered that people saw it, were aware of it, and he ran away. Forty more years have gone. So if we're keeping our fairly simple math, Moses is 80 and has been living in exile for 40 years. He has tried to uh, exercise his, his faithful life in, uh, in God once. It, it failed, and he has since been married. He has children. He has found a, a stable job as a shepherd. Life for Moses moved on, and I imagine he was relatively content in what he was doing. There's a lot in that word now, isn't there? Now. (laughs) Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Mount Ahorab, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared before him in the flames of fire within a bush. 
Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it, it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, Moses, or God called to Moses from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Moses said, I am here. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now the, si- the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. I'm going to stop there. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So I have what I would, I would lovingly call, uh, I have like Neanderthal hands. And, and by that I mean, I, as much as I have wanted to, from, peri- uh, from time to time, to, to learn how to to play music, to, to strum a guitar, to, to play a piano, to, to paint a picture, to do anything artistic. I, I can see it in my mind, but I can't, I can't make my hands do it, that they're, they're clumsy at best. And, and it's frustrating when you're looking to do tasks that require a, a level of finesse. It's, it's, it's frustrating when you're doing tasks that don't seem like they require a level of finesse. I'm curious if this has happened to anybody. It's happened to me a couple of times, and every time it does, it makes me gasp for a second because I'm worried that something uh, uh, un, uh, unfixable has happened. It's I'm working on my computer, and in a, in a flourish that I don't quite know how I've done, I, I manage to, when I want to just type another word or, or go, to a, go to a next line on the, on the document that I'm working on, I, I move my hand in such a way that I manage to highlight the text of my entire document. I press a button and it immediately disappears with the word or the space that I put in. And suddenly, my sermon or, or a manuscript or whatever that I've been working on is just staring at me in this blank blank thing, and the, like the letter A or something is, is staring back at me. Now, I am deeply grateful for the undo button, in the same sense that I am deeply grateful that I can, if that doesn't work, load the save that I did, hopefully, recently. It saved me a couple of times. There have been a few uh, papers that I have written for school that 3,000 words just disappeared and because I hadn't saved in a, in a few hours, maybe only 2,000 of them come back. And I have to work from there. And it's frustrating. Not as frustrating a day as I imagine Pixar had once. I don't know if you've gotten to engage and enjoy 
in some of the Pixar movies. I really hope you do. They are some of the best uh, storytelling that I have seen in years and years. They just boil down deeply complicated issues around, around growing up and uh, a whole slew of other things and communicate them in a great way. And, and Toy Story is a good example. Toy Story 1 was a, a blowout hit. They started making another one. They were a couple of years into it, really getting close to being done, and a, an animator was working on it. And, and he was noticing that the, the image that he was working on of, of, of Woody, of the, of the cowboy, his, his image started to fade away. It started to disappear. His, his hat went away. His boots went away. The other characters were doing the same. What he didn't know was someone in the same room or in the same building somewhere else had accidentally entered a line of code into a computer that would wipe every server of the movie clean. The entire movie began to delete off of it in, in real time. They watched it happening. They, they removed the, uh, the cord from the wall to, to, to get the computer off the network, but the damage was done. I mean, a year's worth of movie was deleted. Thankfully, thankfully, one of their producers, one of their producers uh, was on maternity leave or, or had recently had a baby. And it was easier for her to work at home than it was for her to work in the office. She wasn't supposed to, but she was taking large chunks of the movie home on her own computer to work. It was saved. It was reconstructed, and they went along. A baby functionally saved Pixar's movie, and I loved that. It sounds like a movie in of itself. It's terrifying when things go wrong, when the, the things that we want to be around us seem to disappear, when we, we need something to step in and, and fix it, to save it. We use that language all the time. And, and we see it so much so here in this Exodus story. The Exodus story is the highest watermark of God's activity among humanity until the coming of Christ. It is the biggest and most dramatic story. It is the focal point of all of, uh, of, the, of the faith and religious practice of our Jewish friends and neighbors. It is the biggest and most dramatic act that God ever did in history, save that of Christ himself. And it is crucial for us to understand it. There was a, there was a game that I liked playing as a, as a kid, and I, and I periodically try to teach it to other, other youth or children when I have an opportunity. It's a tag game. It's, it's a game where everybody is it, depending on when the last time it was that you, you touched your own base. So it's called fresher, meaning I, am, I can tag people who have been out of their base longer than I have, and those people can tag me. As a kid, in, our, in the church that I grew up in, we had a gymnasium, which we got to use some of the time, and we had a vestry that we got to use some of the time. And, and I think this was one of my contributions to the church, that they expanded the walls of the vestry. When I was a kid, the walls were further back, and they were these large metal posts all through the vestry. And we were, pl- and we were playing this game, and I was running, and I, I was zigzagging along these large metal posts, and I was looking behind me because, because I was fast and I really wanted the person that was trying to catch me but failing to know how much faster I was than them. But the danger of looking backwards and running forward is, um, is objects suddenly appear. 
It was one of these large metal posts just suddenly was there, and I ran straight into it, and, and I bruised my collarbone. It's the closest to breaking a bone I've ever gotten. Please pray that by saying that, I have not... <laughs> I won't be at a cast next week. <laughs> you have to look where you're going. You have to be aware of what's around you. I am, I am astounded at how often I will drive around this city to discover people walking or driving, looking at uh, probably their phone. It's slightly out of, out of sight. The amount of people that, break, uh, that will tap the, the walk button and, and just leap forward across a road without breaking stride. I am terrified of so many of our streets and these busy pedestrian spaces because often we are unaware of what's going on around. The city, uh, the city introduced a Heads Up Halifax campaign that it, it just it wanted to remind us that if we are moving around our community, that one of our, our responsibilities is in fact to look around, see what is happening around us, and to be aware of our own safety. Because even if, yes, you have the right of way to walk across the street, car bumpers don't care about right away. They just, they just hit you. And as you fall, you can feel justified that you were right and they were wrong. And I hope that brings lots of comfort in the hospital. We have to be aware. But it's not just a safety practice. It's a deeply spiritual practice of having our head up, looking around, and being aware of the community around us is deeply and incredibly important. When we read in this story of, of the Exodus, Moses is out and busy. He is working. He is out in the wilderness tending sheep, and I, I have never done so. I, I hope I never do so. I, I, it's, it's just, it's hard work. And, and in the middle of his hard working day, he looks up, and something out of the corner of his eye seems amiss to him. There's a bush on fire, which is probably not all that unusual. But as far as he can tell, he looks at it for a little longer, and it doesn't appear like it's being consumed. The, the fire is there, the bush is there, and it's, it's, it's not going away. And he finds it strange. So he wants to investigate it more. Before he knows what's happening, there is something inside of him that goes, huh, well, isn't that interesting? I think I want to know more about that. That is sometimes the most spiritual experience that we can ask for. And I bet it's one that you've had. You've been out grocery shopping. You've been on your way to work. You've, you've been out for a walk for the evening. You have been simply out of your home and, and somewhere, and you have had that moment where you go, huh, I wonder what's going on around me. The, our folks at the uh, CBAC YF, that is the Canadian Baptist of Atlantic Canada Youth and Family Department, began challenging us a couple of years ago to help, uh, to help us shape our neighborhoods or to join, uh, to join God in shaping our neighborhoods one, uh, or shaping our communities one neighborhood at a time, to changing Atlantic Canada one neighborhood at a time. It's, it, it was such a great idea that it caught on for the rest of the Canadian Baptists of Atlantic Canada. It's, been, it's asking us for us to have open eyes and open ears and ready hands to see what God is doing around us. Because, 
Because there are times when it can feel like within our own congregation that maybe, maybe the things that God did happened last year or the year before or the year before or decades before. If we think about that time that God was most active, it can easily appear like it's in the past. But God is active in our community right now. One of the, the most impactful prayers that you can ever have is, God, can you give me your eyes to see this community, to see the people that I pass? Can you allow us as a church to have your ears so that we hear what is going on around us, that we would see where you are active in this community and inviting us closer to these holy ground moments? The Lord said to him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries in the distance because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them. A couple of years ago in, uh, in our home, we, um, we discovered evidence of mice, and that is a terrible discovery. And we, we did a handful of things to try to, try to change that. We, we put out some traps. We moved food around, we, put, we sealed things up, we got a cat. One of the, one of the other things that we did is we, we bought this little device that we, we plug into a socket that, that emits a sound at a frequency that, that I can't hear, that I, I am operating on good faith, that mice can hear, and that it doesn't like it, that it's, it's meant to repel it by, by noise. And we all know that animals hear differently than we do. But we also kind of know that, that people hear differently than others. And, and hearing loss comes a lot sooner than we imagine. Somewhere in and around your mid-30s, there is a, your ear will, will deteriorate to a point where uh, 16,000 hertz is, a, is below the threshold or above the threshold of what you can hear. You can't hear anything higher than 1,600 hertz. And this is used in interesting ways in different places. So teenagers can hear this sound quite well. Children can hear this sound quite well. So in places that don't really want a lot of children or teenagers hanging around, shops and restaurants are known to play this as a kind of white noise, as uncomfortable, loud noise that their adult patrons cannot hear. Not unlike what I try to do to the mice that I don't want in my house. Sit on that idea for a second. The flip side is, I can't hear these sounds, and neither can teachers at school. So, if I want my phone to chime, and I want to be aware of my friends sending me messages and pictures, but, but I don't want my teacher to hear it, all I have to do is set a phone ring at 1600 hertz and higher, and my phone can go off as loud as it would like, and the teacher can't hear it, but the student can we hear different things. It changes the way it is. This message that God gives here, I have heard my people's cry. It's easy to imagine that perhaps God is deaf to suffering because there is an awful lot of it in the world. But this story of Moses, this, this beginning of Exodus, reminds us that God's hearing is excellent I have seen my people. I have heard their cries. He is aware of our sufferings and struggles. But more so than just aware of them, he's ready to do something about it. 
I have heard my people's cries. I am aware of their sufferings, so I have come down to rescue them. I am aware, I've heard it, I am aware of it, and now I'm going to act on it. It's a pretty good sequence of events. And it's more or less what we would expect from God. I've heard it, I am aware of it, and now I'm going to do something about it. That's the way we would expect it in our own home. If you come into your house, you hear about a problem, the faucet is leaking, you are now aware of the problem, you will now fix the problem. I give that as an example because I have a leaky faucet, and I don't know how to fix it beyond removing my sink. It's an old, 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 old sink. But once I remove the sink, it means I also know I have to update my bathroom, and I don't want to yet. So I, I just I fixed it by turning the water off. <laughs> Problem fixed, <laughs> so long as you don't mind washing your hands in cold water. <laughs> but God's aware of it. Now he's ready to fix it. But maybe his plan of fixing it is the thing that catches us off guard. Because his plan to fix it is, I have come down to fix it, so Moses, I am now talking to you, and I need you to start doing the things that I need to fix this problem. It's easy for us to take a moment and think about the struggles that our community or even our people among us here could be having. Health struggles are not isolated to just the treatment that they need, but the, the work around the house. Our community can struggle in, uh, in food security. We know that there are, there are children in school that struggle deeply with literacy. We know not far from here, human trafficking is a deep, deeply problematic or a, a deep problem that our community faces. It means that there are young girls that, that are thinking that that is a better track of life for them than there are other options available to them. I mean, there are problems that we are aware of. We've heard about them. God has heard them. He's aware of them. And he wants to do something about them. But the thing that he wants to do, I suspect is exactly what he wanted to do in Egypt. I have heard my people in East Dartmouth cry. I am aware of their sufferings. So, Craig, there you are. <laughs> I need you to. Or, so, Betty, or Mary, or Liam, in all likelihood, so all of us. What I need you to do is, what God needed Moses to do was, was to go back to Egypt. And Moses' reply was, but, but who am I to go back to Egypt? Moses actually has a number of replies to this, but I like this one the most. But, but who am I? I mean, the, the people are going to say, God never appeared to you. Why would he appear to you? I mean, who are you to speak for God? What if they don't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord has never appeared to you? And that's when God said, tell them, I am sent you. Don't worry about who you are. Worry about who I am. I imagine you've all heard at some point the phrase, it's not so much what you know, but it's, but it's who you know. And there is actually a lot of truth to that. Not as much as we, as we sometimes think. Often it's... it's we would say it because we would step back and look at somebody who has, who has achieved something that we feel like maybe they shouldn't, and we go, ah, they just knew the right person. And that's, that's the negative of it. The real truth of it is, is 
our social networks propel us forward in a way that is incredible. There's a great article way, 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 way back in the American Journal of Sociology, back in the late 70s, called The Strength of Weak Ties, meaning the more people you know a little bit, the easier it is for your life to proceed because you can navigate uh, a sea of acquaintances that can help you in, in life. The more people you know, the further you can get in life. But often, it really is about knowing that one or two people in that particular moment to really help you. You can have the right skills and abilities, but downplaying it, you, you need that right person to elevate you. And this is the conversation that God is having with Moses. He's saying, who am I to speak for you and to lead these people? I'm, I'm not a trained priest. I've, I, I, I've never been a prophet before. I've, I've never led people. I've, I've been spending years leading sheep and living in the wilderness. Moses doesn't realize yet what, what we now know is how much a lifetime of living in the wilderness was a critical training ground for him. Or how much a, a childhood and a young adulthood living in, the, in Egypt was a training ground for him to approach the Pharaoh. Or how much learning how to manage, manage large numbers of animals would help him to know how to manage large numbers of often unruly people. Moses has an incredible resume. He just doesn't know it. He just can't see it. But God doesn't even point to that. He doesn't say it's your skills and your abilities and your training. And in fact, the 80 years of your life up until this point have all been leading you here. He says, I am. I am who I am. Tell the people about me. The protests continue. And, and God finally looks at him and says, What's in your hand? And this is one of the most profound questions that we can ever ask ourselves. We become aware of a problem. We have heard our community, our, our church community, our broader community cry. We are aware that God is asking us to do, and we are immediately stuck at that moment that says, but what can we do about it? God asks Moses, what is in your hand? Moses is walking around with a staff. He throws it down, it, it transforms into a snake, he picks it back up, it transforms back into a staff, and it's, it's incredible. But, but that result is, is less important for us, because that's likely not what we are going to have in our hand, and it's not likely what we're going to need to do to make that day work. But the question perhaps boiled down to, more, to a more basic level is, what do you have right now at your disposal? Don't worry about the things that you don't have. That may or may not come later. What do you have right now that you can immediately use to glorify God and to address a problem you have now become aware of? Don't worry about solving it. Don't worry that, that solving hunger in the world would cost in the order of a few billion dollars and you know your bank account is a few billion short. That's not what we have to deal with. What do we have available to us right now? The story of Moses is incredible, and I'm only beginning it. He goes to Egypt. He, he partners with Aaron. He partners with Miriam. He, he proclaims it is the day of, of freedom has come for God's people. God moves in incredible and mighty ways. 
He challenges and dismantles the, the, the faith of the Egyptians to show that, that he truly is, is God. The people leave. And when all looks lost, the, the Red Sea parts, and they move into freedom. What do we miss, though, if we miss even just the introduction to the story of Moses? We miss that God sees, hears, and cares about the struggle of his people. The Israelites were, were one people among many in the world then. And you are one person among billions now. We are one country among hun- uh, 127, I think, at last count. Just one. One community among, I have no idea how many there are in the world. God hears, sees, and cares about our struggles. But we miss that, that God doing something about it is not as aloof as we sometimes imagine. It's not about a, a, a miraculous change of the scenario, but it is about His called people taking advantage of the skills and things that they have at their disposable, at disposal now to address those same injustices that we are aware of. What do we miss if we miss the story of Moses? We miss that God calls everyday, ordinary people into extraordinary acts of work. We miss, we may miss, that the call comes when they least expect it. Moses spent 40 years alone, hiding for fear that he would be discovered. And he wasn't. He was ready to be called to ministry. Let's take a moment and pray, shall we? Gracious God, Lord, give us the readiness of of Moses, even even though he didn't know it, and even though he resisted it, and even though he protested, and even though he he wasn't the guy, and he he couldn't speak well, and and he didn't know how to do it, and people wouldn't believe him, and and even though he listed excuse after excuse after excuse, or, or put perhaps more favorably, reason after reason after reason, because we can list reasons why you wouldn't call us or you wouldn't use us. But you, you would remove all of them as well. Help us to hear and see the people around us cry. Help us to be aware of the, the struggles that you need us to, to address, that we may be moved to address them. Lord, we, we thank you for the ways that you have called us to serve in the past, that you are calling us to serve now. And we eagerly look forward to the ways that you will call us to serve ahead. We pray all this in Christ's name. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Drug Baptist Church podcast. I hope what you listened to was helpful. If you enjoyed it, consider liking, subscribing, or sharing this podcast. You can find us on Facebook, or if you are in the Dartmouth, Nova Scotia area, we would love to see you some Sunday. Again, thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful day.